Hi, and welcome to our podcast called Asking Better Questions. My name is John Nisham. And this is Shane Chan. We're just two friends that love encouraging one another to seek God more. We want to ask the best questions that we can. It's not a goal, it's a journey. The purpose of the journey is to learn and grow in God, to know Him better. We would also love to take you on that journey with us. If you have questions, we would love to hear them. We can't promise that we'll be able to answer them, especially today, but we will try to have a conversation about them. You can send your questions to askingbetterquestionspodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram at askingbetterquestionspodcast. So, Pastor John, we haven't done a podcast in a while. What's been happening in your world? I don't think we've mentioned it yet on the podcast, but both you and I have started doing some study recently, uh, doing a bachelor's in theology. And that's like, I'm finding it fascinating. Like, it's really interesting. It's been a while since I've done formal study. And so in some ways, I'm finding it a little bit overwhelming and trying to get my head around the, the new time frames and things like that. But it's... Uh, it's been a real time of good growth for me. Yeah. What about yourself? Well, like you mentioned, we both started studies. So that's been um, really, for me, it's been a time challenge in a way. It's my time management has been, I'm not good with time management, but this study is really forcing me to really manage my time wisely. And because I'm sort of heavily committed into doing all my jobs and work stuff and in the middle of that there's the studies and so I think I've I've struggled a bit to get my timing right on some things but I, th- I feel like I've been really enjoying it I've been really really learning a lot of things and yeah it's it's been amazing I recommend people who like to get into Bible college and do something it's actually quite amazing and you would really enjoy it yeah fantastic well speaking of Bible in that context. It's a bit of a stretch on the segue, but nevertheless, I think it's time to flip the Bible open. So this is our first segment we like to do called Random Scripture. It's where we flip the Bible to a random page and read a few verses that catch our eye on that page. Then we have a discussion about that verse and let the discussion take on a life of its own. We pray that God will guide it to a scripture that he wants to talk us about, he wants us to talk about, and we'll try to follow his lead. So I believe, Shane, that it's probably your turn, although I'm starting to lose track. Uh, I think they're all blurring into one from my memory, but I think it's your turn to flip today. All right. No worries. Let me randomly flip the scriptures. I have uh, gone to Joshua 21, and we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Then the leaders of the tribe of Levi come to the consult with Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders of the other tribes of Israel, they came to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us towns to live in and partial lands for our livestock. So by the command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave the Levites the following towns and partial lands of their own grants of land. We can stop there. Yeah, so this is part of the incredibly complicated system of provision that God created in the, uh, the land of Israel. And so the Levite tribe, they were dedicated to serving in the temple or in the tabernacle at this stage, I believe. Um, and so that was supposed to be their entire focus to serve the Lord and by doing that to serve the nation. And so then there was a whole system set up of the nation providing wealth for them uh, and so this is uh, obviously 
in the middle of everything that's been happening, they seem to be saying, well, you know, this might have been overlooked, this might have been forgotten, and they're then advocating for their families to receive the land that was promised for them. And it, it's an interesting scenario that, you know, that, that provision that is placed there so that certain people can be set aside to do work on behalf of God is the, we, we sort of translate that into today's culture and, and we use that same similar principle when it comes to, you know, church work that certain people set aside their time to work in the church and then the church will provide. And so we've actually taken this principle and, you know, although it's a slight adjustment, we've actually taken this principle and applied it into our modern context. Just reading at that, it's just something that grabs my attention is God's promises will always be fulfilled. And, you know, uh, the word of God says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but his words will never pass away. And they were made some yeah. promises. And God made sure those promises were fulfilled, even though they these uh, Levites, they, they were waiting and, and and the tribe, the whole of tribe was waiting for to get something that was promised to Moses. And we see an incredibly, first of all, God is so generous, right? He could have given yeah. just uh, those promises to only a few people. But anyone along the way that tagged along with the Israelites, they were in the um, desert for 40 years. And they didn't have the group that they started with. Generations changed. And also, people from outside actually join in. And when they reached the promise, then all of them actually were blessed through that. Not only the initial people that came from there, but I believe everyone that was part of that group, God actually gave them something. Yeah. And that that actually is really encouraging to me that when when we look at in today's society, in today's Christian worldview, if people are around you, they keep getting blessed by God as well. When God gives you something like, if, if God you know gave me some financial stuff and I'm taking someone out for lunch, I'm not just blessing myself, but I'm also blessing someone else that is all around me. And so I feel like this is the same concept that God is showing in the Old Testament where everyone of those people were blessed simply because they were walking where God had promised them to be. And they, they had joined in from places and they were part of a movement, a part of a promise that God wanted to see happen. Yeah, and in that it's interesting that, you know, the promise that's been made to these, uh, to in this case, we're specifically talking about the Levites. I, you know, I hear what you're saying, that you're including the whole Israelite clan there. Um, but with the specific promise here to the Levites, I don't know what would have gone through their mind had that promise not been made, had Moses not said, you know, this is what needs to happen. This is how the Levites get provided for. But because that promise was made, and particularly it's emphasized because the promise was made on behalf of God, that there's, there's this desire inside that kind of can't let go of that until it's fulfilled. Yes. And so there's something about the promise of God that latches inside of us and it grows and it stirs us and it and it creates almost a frustration until it happens. 
And so here, you know, it's not clear in this scripture. It's not saying that the Levites came with a bad attitude or they came out of frustration, but there's this urgency inside of them saying, you know, we, we see around us what God has promised to all of us. And what we don't see yet is what God's promised to us individually. And so there's this, as a, you know, as our clan, not, not as individual people, but as our clan, that we haven't yet seen God's promise fulfilled. And so coming to Joshua, who's the leader, then saying, you know, look, this, this, is, this is the frustration we've got. This is the, the, the situation we're in, that God made a promise and it's not fulfilled. And, and so, you know, I can relate in certain times in my life where God's made a promise, where I'm waiting for it. And, you know, I've got one right now where over 10 years I've been waiting for something that God said. And I, I just really, like, it would really bring me peace to say it wasn't God and move on. But because of certain circumstances that happen, because of certain confirmations that I've had, I can't deny that it's God. And so there's this, this frustration inside, this this anxiousness saying, when is it going to happen? Surely it's been long enough. Surely I'm ready. Surely I've learned the lessons that I, I need to know. And, and there's this turmoil. And so within me, there's this question, you know, where do I go? What do I do to make this thing happen? And I know I can't make it happen. It's, it's, it's outside of my authority. And so to then... You know, in the middle of all of that, it's the wrestling saying, God, I trust you. I trust your word. I know you promised it. And so I will wait patiently, even though the word itself creates this desire and this anxiousness inside of me. And that's right. I I believe there's been so many times when there's frustration when you want God to do something in your time. And... You're like, God, why why am I in this waiting yeah. season? Why I can see people around me having their promises come to pass. But I feel like I've been waiting forever. And that's a very um, interesting place to be. It's a very annoying place to be. And that is where I feel like most <laughs> of the times the devil can get us, where we start to doubt things. Is this really God? Was this just me? And what we can do is just like they did, is ask the question, Hey, God, this has been promised to us. We're still waiting. When is it going to happen? And it's good to have that hunger and desire and not lose the sight of that. And I feel like they, you know, after all those years, they still did not lose the sight of what they had been promised. They were still holding on to their promise that this is going to happen. And, and they got given... They wanted the partial lens. They wanted it to be nice. They, everything that they wanted was given to me. I feel like um, it says it was 48 territories or something that they were given and or towns, whatever you like to call it. And that's a lot. That's just not a small thing that they were given. And they were given uh, the best. It wasn't just, oh yeah, here you go, have some desert space or something like that. No, they were promised a land with milk and honey. And that's exactly what they were given. Because I think, I believe there's a lot of blessing in waiting. And because they waited, they were blessed with great things. And they were blessed because simply God loved them as well. Yeah, so in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I think that kind of captures a little bit of what we're saying there, that the the promise of God, it's sure and it can be trusted, 
but the waiting can be very frustrating. And and you made the phrase, you, you said the phrase uh, that there's a blessing in the waiting. And yes, while you're in the waiting, it's very difficult to see that. And so maybe some of our listeners today are in a situation where they're waiting for for something to happen, where they're waiting for a promise to God. Well, maybe they haven't yet had a promise from God, and they're in a situation where they need God to do something, but it hasn't. There's no certainty of what's going to happen. And so, if if that's you, I would encourage you just to remind yourself to to speak to yourself and say God can be trusted. And to then speak to God, ask God, saying, God, where am I at? What do I need to know? What do I need? What do you want to say to me in this situation? And so in the middle of all of that, you know, there's no judgment on people who are struggling with the waiting season. The statement that there there is a blessing in waiting doesn't mean that if you can't see it, there's something wrong with you. That's actually called being human. And so we choose to remember that God can be trusted. We choose to remember that we can hold on to his promises. We choose to remember that he's going to be there when we need him. And while we wait, we have that struggle. We have those desires. We have all of that stirring up inside us. And we say, God, we choose to hold on to you. Yeah. And we know that he will come through. Absolutely. So we shall get into our our question of the day. Which is? What is Trinity? What is Trinity? <laughs> I feel like there should be a third person for this topic. Yes, there should definitely be. We need all the help we can get for this one. <laughs> so I just um, was thinking about this topic. And I remember as um, a young person and sort of really encountered God. And I, I came along this concept of Trinity. And I remember I was so confused. I was not liking um what everyone had to say about it is simply i couldn't get my head around trinity and it was really frustrating because i'm like this is um a concept that just doesn't seem very logical to me and i feel like a lot of people that even in my lifetime i have talked to even new christians they come and ask me how does trinity work again i i can't make a sense of it i can't get my head around it and so if you'd like to get your head around it today, you probably won't, but we'll do our best to answer this. <laughs> yeah, well, so just to speak into that first, I think, you know, the idea that we should be able to get our head around things uh, is normal. But in one of his sermons, St. Augustine said, we're talking about God. So why be surprised if you can't grasp it? I mean, if you can grasp it, it isn't God. Let us rather make a devout confession of ignorance instead of a brash profession of knowledge. Certainly it is greater bliss to have a little touch or taste of God with the mind, but completely to grasp him, to comprehend him, is altogether impossible. So, you know, the, the fact that as a young person, you're not able to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. And I know this isn't necessarily the, the right logical statement, but the fact that you struggled to understand it means it's more likely to be true of God. Yeah. You know, we are finite, limited human beings and our logic and reason can only take us so far. God is infinite and eternal. And so if we can get our entire head around the concept of God, according to Augustine, then it's not God that we've actually got our head around. We've got our head around something else. And so there there needs to be this idea, this settle, settling in our heart that the concepts that are beyond us 
don't necessarily mean they're not true. Just because they don't always feel logical or make sense to us doesn't mean that they're not right. Because the fact that they're beyond our capacity is part of the way we know that they're God. So every topic that we talk about, you know, I know that any topic that you can bring it down to its bare essentials and make some simple statements about it. And one of the things that we've committed to in this podcast is the idea that not everything is as simple as that. And so we're going to try to expand the question and discuss different aspects of the question to actually give the the idea that this is a big thing. This There's lots of different angles to it that all need to be taken into account. We don't have to get our head around everything. Yeah, and that's exactly right. So, Pastor John, we can start with uh, a simple definition of what Trinity is. Would you like to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you mean you wouldn't? Um, yeah, no, sure, let's, let's go for it. So, starting off it is the most commonly quoted scripture within the Bible itself is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Yeah. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm. And so the fact that this scripture gets quoted so often by other biblical authors refers back to how central and important this statement is. And so the fact that the Lord is one is vital not only in scripture, but also in any doctrines that we try to take out of scripture. And so, you know, the word Trinity, you won't find it in the Bible, but it is the quintessential Christian doctrine that, def- like, if you don't agree with the Trinity, then technically it's not the Christian faith that you're professing. Now, that might sound uh, harsh and judgmental, but for all of Orthodox Christianity, it's been the Trinity has been the central piece that has actually excluded other people, other groups from the Christian faith because this is the best understanding that could be come up with from what we see in the scriptures. So if the Lord is one, is our foundational statement, yeah. then any doctrine that we draw out of scripture has to come back to the fact that the Lord is one because otherwise we're saying that, that the whole Old Testament is now obsolete and that's not the case. The whole Old Testament is still given to us yeah. for us to understand who God is and how we fit into his story. And so we're starting with the fact that the Lord is one. And all through the Old Testament, we see countless times commandments saying that you cannot worship anyone other than the Lord. And so, you know, the, the whole thing about idolatry, graven images, anytime we give our worship to anyone other than God then that's idolatry. And so within that context, we now read the New Testament, and in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is being worshipped, and we see that the Holy Spirit is being worshipped. And so either there's a fundamental change in who God is, or there's a shift in our understanding of who God is. And so in that context, we see that we're still only worshipping one God, but now we're worshipping the three persons of the Godhead. And so we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, all of whom are God, but there's only one God. And the oneness and the unity that they live in, uh, that has been there for all eternity, and will be there for all eternity, becomes the defining nature of the Trinity. 
Yeah. That's perfectly clear, right? Yeah. You understand it fully now? No. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. When I was actually having this question, what on earth is Trinity? Guess who was my pastor? Pastor John was my pastor that I went to and asked him. Now, I'm asking a guy who probably still has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> I remember, Pastor John, uh, you explained to me Trinity like this. You said to me, uh, the Bible it's, it's the same concept of a husband and wife. When they get married, they become one. And even though they are two individuals, but the Bible says they are one now. So how does that work? Well, I still haven't got my head around that concept. All I know, that's what the Bible says, that we become one. And that oneness is in the spirit because physically we can't be just one, right? And, And I could see that as I have gotten married now and obviously at that stage I have become one with my wife. And now that statement is making more sense to me than it did previously. But I was still, I was like, husband and wife become one. They're two different individuals. That still doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? So it was still, I'm trying to get my head around Trinity. And just uh, something that Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Yeah. And I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Amen. So, it says, Go out, make disciples of all nations. The command, uh, what we should be doing. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. This is something we do at baptism. We baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why didn't just Jesus say, just do it uh, in the name of the Father? Or just do it in Jesus' name? Or just do it, Holy Spirit, they've been baptized. Now, he, he was introducing, this is like you mentioned, Pastor John, God is one, but they're three different beings. They're three different persons that makes up one God. And that is something that Jesus is trying to do here is when you when this person is been set apart when you make a disciple and you baptize them that means they've been cleansed from their past life and they have been set apart do it in all those three names and they become one with God and that is the Godhead now I believe that still doesn't make sense to some people so Pastor John is going to explain it further (laughs) that's right so i just want to put out a i don't know if it's the right word but a disclaimer that we're probably not going to word everything perfectly in those podcasts (laughs) and so you know please if you're listening and you really understand the doctrine of the trinity perfectly and we get one or two words wrong in this discussion please don't uh, be critical but feel free to comment either on instagram or by email uh, and let us know if you think we we need to fix something. Um, we're going to do our best to word it correctly, but it is actually <laughs> a rather particular uh, 
way that things need to be worded. So there's pictures like what Shane said there about the husband and the wife and the design of that. And I don't know that we can ever say we've become one in the same way that God is one. You know, my wife and I think so differently on everything. And, you know, we we love each other and, you know, I I get all of that. We, We work together well. Like it, it's, it works. It, it's great. I'm happily married, but we think so differently on everything. And you don't get that impression with the Godhead. You don't get the impression that they have to sit there and explain to each other what they're thinking and, and come at it from a different angle to try to fix things up because there's a oneness that they have that we don't have yet. And I don't know whether we ever can or will have the same oneness, but the oneness that we have is a picture to help us understand the oneness that God has and also the oneness that God wants to have with us. And so that it's, it's a useful picture. It's one of the best pictures that we have of how the divine relationships work. Um, you know, there's other ones that are possibly less helpful, but still help a little bit in the concept of it. Like uh, there's the concept of the egg where you have the shell, the white and the yolk, and all three of them are egg. And without them, you don't have egg. You, you need all three. And, and so, you know, the, the difference there, the way where that breaks down is that they're all so separate and distinct that they actually need all three where in the Trinity doctrine, all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, and they're all complete, but then they have that mutual dependence. And so they don't need the other one to be God, but they are God together as one, and it becomes very confusing. So, you know, that becomes one of the the breakdowns. You've got uh, one of the less helpful pictures again, but you know, some people, it can be a good starting point is the idea of water, where you can have it as a liquid, a solid, or a gas. And they're all made up of H2O. They're all technically water, but one is ice, one is steam, and one is water. And you can have all three, but each one in itself is water. Now, again, where that breaks down is that's actually three manifestations of water, whereas that's not the way the Trinity doctrine works. It's not that God appears as a father and he appears as a son and he appears as the Holy Spirit. No, he is all three and he is one at the same time. And so those things are distinct, but they all have the same characteristics. And so, uh, you know, to give those sort of pictures, it can help people to start down the journey of understanding what the Trinity is. And it can help to see, oh, okay, things are actually sometimes more complicated, even though they're simple. And so, uh, you know, that I don't know if that's clarified anything for anyone, but it is important to know that, that out of all of the pictures that people have drawn and, and come up with to try to help us explain the Trinity, none of them seem to do it perfectly. None of them seem to completely uh, incorporate that. And so, you know, you mentioned about us becoming one when we get married. And there's that famous prayer of Jesus where he's praying just as, in his words, just as you and I, talking about the Father and him, are one, then let them also be one and let them also be one with us. And so there's this even more complicated thing that not that we're going to be God, but that we're going to be included into his oneness in an incredible way. And, you know, that 
spins my mind even further. And so I think one of the things that I probably told you right up front, Shane, yeah. when you asked me about the Trinity was I need to tell you, firstly, that I can explain the Trinity to you. But secondly, that what I can't do is understand the Trinity. And I've said that to lots of people over the time because, you know, even though now I feel like I'm probably being a bit more complicated, a bit less clear than maybe even when I explained it to you, it's probably because I've got my head more around the fact that I don't have my head around the topic. And it's become more and more clear to me that this is just beyond my brain. Yes. And I love the fact that we worship a God that we can't put into a box, that we can't uh, define so neatly that we can just logically explain every part of him away. And I love the fact that our God always has something new to discover about him, that no matter how far we go through life, how much we learn about him and how much we know, there's always more to learn and there's always more to open our eyes to in who God is. Yeah, absolutely. There's something uh, you said like how you and your wife, you know, you don't think alike. And me and my wife, we always, you know, don't think alike. And I would like to, for us to think alike sometimes, because it can get frustrating. But you said, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are always on the same page. Yeah. And there's something that oneness about them. And it reminds me of John 3.16, that God gave his son. And we think about that, God is sacrificing his son, right? Yeah. And it was almost like it's God's choice that he gave Jesus up. But then you, we look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It talks about the son actually gave himself up. Yeah. And so it was also the son's idea. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, it says, Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself through the eternal spirit he offered himself what what spirit is that the holy spirit so it talks in three contexts that the father did it the son himself did it and through the holy spirit he offered himself and so when when we are all we everyone knows that you know uh, the famous story of abraham and isaac and we see that picture of God giving his son but then we when we look into the Bible it also says that the son also gave himself up and yeah through the eternal spirit he offered himself so there was a like-mindedness there that they actually came together it wasn't just the father giving uh, his son up it was also the son giving himself up and the Holy Spirit also agreed to that and so there was this oneness not just one person's decision for that to happen for us to receive this salvation, it wasn't just one person. For us to be living under the new covenant, it wasn't just the father giving his son up. It was the son himself and the Holy Spirit also, all together. And like you said, this is, um, again, a beauty of God is that we can never fathom what's around it. But when you start to actually, most of the stuff you can explain in the Bible is... Through Trinity, we can't explain all those verses if it wasn't for Trinity. And here's some things that reflects what the Trinity actually makes us do with our sonship with God. He, he In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, Be happy with those who are happy with you and those who weep 
this sorry verse that was verse 15 this is verse 16 live in harmony with each other and what does the trinity do they live in harmony with each other yeah and that's that's something that we can have a look at and see okay is god speaking through something like this that we are commanded to live in harmony right and so there must be something to this the trinity lives in harmony yeah so i think also one of the things that uh, because of the complicated wording and nature of what the trinity is and because we struggle to get our head around it i think it's important to sort of talk about some of the things that the trinity isn't and so you know like if you look at the history of uh, debate and discussion in in the christian church uh, there's a few things that sort of came up. And so there, there's the idea that I kind of mentioned before when I was talking about the pictures that we can have that might not might or might not be helpful. Um, but you can get this idea that it's one God, but reveals himself in three different ways. Uh, and, you know, as you say, when you look through Scripture, some of the things just in Scripture just don't make sense if you view it that way. That why would Jesus be having a conversation with the Father if they're actually just revelations of the same person, it doesn't make sense. And so there's a whole, I mean, you know, I'm probably not doing justice on that one, but uh, the idea that God just reveals himself differently. Yes, God does reveal himself in different ways at different times, but the three distinct persons of the triune God are um, distinct. They are distinct. And so they're not just the same person showing himself different ways. There is a, also, there's... Um, the oneness and the distinction that we need to we need to clarify, um, because it's not three gods that work together in harmony. It's one God with three persons that make up, as you used the phrase before, the Godhead. Uh, and so, all three of them are God. All three of the persons are God, but they are one God. And and so. It's important not to focus on either the oneness or the distinction at the neglect of the other. They are both one and distinct. Um, so, you know, this, this is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself in Scripture and in uh, Revelation with individual people as well. And, and so, you know, the idea that there's going to be discussion, there's going to be us trying to get our head around it, us trying to work out, you know, how does this work? And, you know, as a 14-year-old disagreeing with our pastor on how it looked, um, you know, all of those sorts of things happen. But there's this divine dance that, that the triune God does with in, interdependence and relationship and love and joy and and all of the thing, the, the, the relationship that they have within the Godhead with the distinct persons that actually help make them one as well. And it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And even more beautiful, perhaps, arguably, is the fact that they open that invitation to us to join that divine dance with them. Yeah. To step in and actually be a part of that. That, you know, especially when, you know, and we can argue that we were created for that purpose, but we turned our back on it and we sinned. We we threw it back in in God's face and said, we actually, we want to define things over here as good when you've said they're not good. And we don't want to rely on or depend on or be part of 
your oneness. We, we're separating ourselves from that. And we took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that point, we should have been permanently disqualified from ever being a part of oneness with God. And yet, as you mentioned before about the plan of salvation for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in, in unity of decision to say the Son is going to come and give his life so that we can have his life because he had our death. And so we then get invited in to that divine dance with them, with him, however we want to word that. We get invited in and we actually start to take on almost the DNA of God in in one sense. And I I don't know how to word that any better at the moment, but it actually starts to change our nature. It start, it, you know, the, the Bible talks about taking out a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. It, it, it talks about uh, the, the law of God being written on our hearts instead of on tablets of stone. And, and there's something about us being invited in to the oneness that they share that actually starts to change us in who we are and, and how we interact with the world and how we interact with God. And it, it starts to stir things up on the inside of us that weren't there before. So I was just thinking in the terms of a family. Now, me and my wife, we just had a baby, baby Leroy, and he is incredible. And I love him so much. Me and Louisa, we love him so much. And I I have seen and hold many babies, and I don't feel like I have the same love for all those babies that I have for my own baby. And there's something about my baby that I conceived yeah. uh, that I love so much that I am willing to do more for uh, him than probably for any other baby. It's just, I feel like that's how us human works. I, I probably, I'm not like mean to all the other babies, but I just feel like I have more love for something that um, I created, I have a responsibility for. And I believe when you talk about Trinity and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all together in like-mindedness, they created us. They created this world. They created us. And so the fact that the Father was there from the beginning, the Son and the Holy Spirit were there from, from the beginning, and the love we see the Father had, the love that the Son had, the fact that the Father was there all throughout the um, we see him all throughout the Old Testament, and he just loves his people. He blesses his people. He br- brings correction to his to the people. He gives them victory. He he is amazing towards his people that he loves so much. And because why he created them, and Jesus the Son also created those people, and he loves them. He was willing to die for them. That's how much he loved them. The Holy Spirit was there yeah. since the beginning of time as well. He loves them so much that now he wants to be living on the inside of them. That's the whole concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fact all three has conceived us in a way that have so much love for us. And we can see that love evident all the way throughout the Bible till now that this is their creation. 
this is their people this is their babies this is theirs and and yeah. the fact that they love it so much they they have done so many things for us together they did that and we can see the evidence of that there's something that um i thought was just incredible in terms of when we look at families and when it's your own creation you are willing to go beyond anything and everything to make sure they belong to you they are on the right path you love them so much that you want to be together with them all the time that's what the holy spirit wants he wants to live with you the whole time be inside of you and guide you and protect you and give you the things that is best for you i think it's only through love of a parent in in that context it shows the love of a parent that does that if it was not their creation oh yeah you can do whatever you like all right you can all go to hell whatever i don't care it wasn't a command just given by the father go ahead and do this they generally all were together so they have a genuine love for us yeah that's right and so you see you know when jesus did come and he was walking and and the stories that the gospel writers tell about what jesus did when he was on the earth and you see that even when he's correcting people, even when he's confronting uh, the religious leaders of the day and saying, this needs to change, it's clear that he's doing it out of that love that you're describing. And, you know, when you see, uh, you know, Jesus walking around the earth, what you see is people who have nothing to lose and nothing to gain fall in love with Jesus and just want to follow him. But people who have political aspirations and want control and power uh, seem to hate Jesus. And so, you, you, you know, and I don't know that you can necessarily draw the line that cleanly. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'd have to do further study on that one. But it, it seems like that's the line that the gospel writers seem to draw. And so you see that when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he makes his great I am statements, I am this, I am that, and, you know, a whole lot of other things that he does regularly and continually the pharisees go away from the conversation saying this guy is making himself equal with god and that that concept that in their culture in their day in their listening to jesus they hated him because he made himself equal with god now if he was just a man and he wasn't divine if he wasn't part of the triune god then they would be absolutely right to say this man shouldn't be making himself equal with God. The problem that they had is that he was God. Is that what, you know, and obviously, you know, we're speaking from the Christian belief. This is what I believe. Yeah. That, you know, when when the gospel writers were talking about Jesus, they were making the clear point that he was God. Now, I don't know that the gospel writers ever used the phrase Jesus is God. I don't. I know that in all of their writing, they're making it abundantly clear that they believe him to be God. But apart, you know, that's great that their testimony as followers of Jesus claims that he's God. That's one thing. But the fact that it's very clear, and not just from the Gospels, but also from extra biblical writings, that Jesus was put to death by the Jews for claiming to be God. And so, you know, as Christians, if we're going to say, yes, we, we do worship Jesus, then we have to say that we disagree with the people that put him to death who said he's not God. And we have to agree 
with Jesus who said he was God. Yeah. And so that's, you know, at, at the essence of it, that's the, the compelling part of the discussion is we have to say, because the Pharisees who despised Jesus, despised him because he was saying he was God, he was claiming to be God. Now, if he's right, then that's great. And he should be worshipped. If he's not, according to C.S. Lewis, then he's either a, a terrible deceiver, in which case we should throw out everything he said and everything he did, or he's an absolutely crazy person who, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is on the level of someone who claims to be a poached egg. And again, we should then dismiss everything that he says. But we can't deny the impact that he's had on history. We can't deny that he is this amazing, influential, incredible person. Yeah. And so there's something more significant. He's not a madman and he's not a tyrant. He's not evil. So clearly he must be God. Now, you know, I've simplified that logical argument and people are welcome to disagree with that. But that is essentially the Christian argument that, that Jesus is who he claimed to be without taking away from the fact that there is only one God. So I think, you know, there's a couple of uh, different arguments that have come against it over time. And, you know, really one of the key questions that is asked in the whole discussion throughout history is, was Jesus equal with God? And if he was equal with God, how do we define that relationship? And so I think probably we've got to the end of the topic uh, so Shane, if you want to just summarize everything so that it all makes perfect sense for everyone, that'd be great. All right, guys, this is it. <laughs> Give up. You can't get your head around it. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> Perfectly summarized. So is there anything you wanted to add, Shane? <laughs> no, I'm good. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, I feel like I've um, learned new things as I spoke. So there you go. Well... Yes. So leading on from this topic in one of the future podcasts, we are going to be talking about uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit and uh, and how that looks, what that is, and, and how that works in our lives. And so we've got a question that we've been asked that was just sort of sitting on, and there was a few things that we felt like we needed to put into place before we tackled that topic, and this being one of them. And so, you know, if you've got questions that you'd like us to either dance around or answer, uh, then please send them to askingbetterquestionspodcast at gmail.com or send them to us on askingbetterquestionspodcast at Instagram. Hope you have a great week. And we hope we haven't confused you too much. God bless. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> what? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. It's good. It doesn't have to make yeah. sense. That's the whole point of this one. It's great. <laughs>